to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Amanda, I am craving cupcakes and pizza. (laughs) Why ever would that be, Jeremiah? (laughs) We are about to interview the founder, the creator, the person who started the cupcake craze. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. We've got Candace Nelson joining us on Flower Hour today. Not only is she the founder, founder people of Sprinkles Cupcakes, she's also the co-founder of Pizzana. So pizza and cupcakes, does it get any better than that? It's like the best Friday night you could imagine, honestly. <laughs> or any night. But she's also <laughs> a judge on Sugar Rush, which is on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it's so much fun. Um, she has her own podcast called Live to Eat. And she's also was the judge on Cupcake Wars. Don't you love that show? I loved that show. Love that show. Also, I can say from my personal experience, she's an all around lovely, generous, kind person. She hosted me earlier this year in her kitchen to do some cake decorating. And I'm just beyond excited to host her here on Flower Hour. Uh, Candace, I'm so glad to have you on Flower Hour. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. We are beyond excited. Not as excited as me. <laughs> it's an, an excited competition. I don't know. I'm ready to throw down, Candace. Let's do it. Sugar rush style. <laughs> oh yeah. yes. Perfect segue because I wanted to congratulate you about Sugar Rush. I just saw there's going to be a Christmas edition. Is that right? Yes. Getting in the holiday spirit already over here. I just posted on my Instagram. Somebody made a, um, a an ugly Christmas sweater cake. And on one side, it said nice, and on the other side, it said naughty. So we all got to stick our heads over it as we were wearing <laughs> the sweater cake. And of course, I got to wear the nice side, and I made Hunter wear the naughty side. Of course, as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we have six new episodes coming out right after Thanksgiving for to get you all in the holiday spirit. It's going to be all sorts of peppermint and eggnog and spices, and we had to eat a lot of holiday flavors day after day after day. And it was super fun actually, because I love those flavors. Do you have a favorite amongst those, those beautiful flavors? You know, I really do appreciate eggnog because it is that one flavor that unlike pumpkin, which is sort of seeped into every, you know, month of the year, eggnog is truly reserved for that, you know, Christmas time, that holiday season. And so I truly look forward to it. And I think there's a big difference between a well-made eggnog and a not so well-made eggnog. So I definitely seek out the the really rich, um, wonderful spiced eggnogs that are, you know, kind of hitting the market more these days. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. That's really interesting to think about. It is completely relegated to the holidays. Like nobody even plays around with it in July, whereas pumpkin or like we think about apples being for fall, but you could see apples any time of year. You do not see eggnog in the summer. That's That's right. People don't even try. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, we love the behind the scenes info about the show. What I mean, tell us what a typical day is like filming Sugar Rush and how do you budget your eating for those days? That is the million dollar question. And I'm going to throw that out to the audience if anyone has any ideas for me. (laughs) I am open to them. I have been doing dessert competition shows. I was actually thinking about it today for a decade, I think, because I started with Cupcake Wars and now with Sugar Rush on Netflix. And it's sort of the same program, right? I mean, not program in terms of what you see on the screen, but in terms of my day, one episode is one very long production day. And so I am eating desserts all day long and have to fit in some form of nourishment in there, um, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or all three. And every season I go into it thinking, I'm going to nail it this time. I'm going to figure out a way to balance out the carbs and the sugar and the coffee with some sort of healthful routine. And last season, I actually used a meal service that was like, as healthy as it could get. It was like a vegetarian keto program or something like that. And it was really sad because it just sat there in the fridge because I honestly, there was so much eating going on set that I wasn't even hungry for anything nutritious. I'm always curious about that. Like at the end of a long day of baking and Jeremiah, I'm curious what you think too. I have this huge debate, like I'll be full. I'm not actually hungry after tasting, 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 or even full on just eating a slice of cake. But is it healthier than to jam in some salad or just say, this day is a loss, let's just move on? What do you guys think? I I think that I've come around to the belief that to put healthy food on top of a full stomach of sugar is almost not even worth it. Just call it a day... Don't give your stomach more to process. And what the only thing that I've really found is helpful is this sort of idea of intermittent fasting. So giving your stomach a break because certainly working in the food world, as I do with the you know Sugar Rush show and then also running restaurants now, I do my fair share of sort of unbalanced eating. And the only way I found to make myself feel a little bit better is to just go a little bit longer without eating that next meal. Right there Sorry. with you when I'm um, researching for my my cookbook and I'm in Portugal and I'm visiting bakeries, I just stop eating breakfast. Sometimes I don't even eat, like pastries are my lunch, just like you're saying, and then I'll have a nice dinner, but it's, you've got, yeah, the fasting is key. I totally agree. And um, yeah, and it's hard because on these shows, there's craft services, which, you know, is a table full of the most delicious goodies you could possibly imagine. And someone is standing there cooking up fresh meals all day long. And I pass by that table every time I go to set, which is multiple times a day. And it's so easy to get in the habit of just grabbing a handful of M&Ms or, you know, whatever, grabbing a crepe that's coming off the griddle. But it's just, you're going to regret it later because I got tons of desserts to try on that show. (laughs) Amanda, what did you have for lunch today? The saddest lunch ever, juice. Uh, I bought a whole bunch of juice yesterday. This sounds so LA, right? So and, LA. Uh, yeah, it's it's juice all day for me. How about you? What did you have for lunch? I think mine will sound very Northern California. I had pasta <laughs> that was made out of like cauliflower. <laughs> 
from your garden no okay not that that's further north um okay with um (laughs) farmed i think like the last of the summer farm tomatoes and some other vegetables well i'm curious what adam from lunch therapy would think about our lunches (laughs) <laughs> I know, right? Well, Adam has this awesome podcast called Lunch Therapy, and it's a podcast for anyone who thinks that food is more than just what you put in your body every day. It's a show that looks at how what we eat says something about who we are. It's also really funny. There are just as many comedians as guests as there are chefs and food people, but the show isn't afraid to get emotional. There's many a poignant moment. You can also learn a lot. There are cooking tips tips on how to host a dinner party jenny Coner's episode especially offers a good strategy tips on eating everything you want to eat but also finding balance does juice for lunch count as balance (laughs) (laughs) mostly though it's a chance to really get to know people by hearing about what they eat for lunch And for perspective for our listeners, how long is a filming day? Like just your average day, what time do you start? What time do you end? One episode is one very long filming day. So the, the difference between my filming day and Hunter and Zumbo's filming day is that I have about two hours of hair and makeup. <laughs> so that's the unfair part about being a woman. And Zumbo, I mean, he has no hair. So he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't even need to worry about that. He gets a little padding of powder and it's completely unfair, but it's okay. I'm used to it. So I usually get up around 5.30 and I'll get home by about 10 at night. So it's a really long day. Wow. Wow. That is not fair. But we also want to know (laughs) what's Zumba like? Oh my gosh. He's the best. It's funny because Hunter and I are, we're just like two naughty kids in the back of the bus. Like we're always cracking jokes and we're chatting all day long and we're just laughing throughout the day. And Zumba on the other hand is he's sort of the strong and silent type. But whenever he does say something, it's always very profound or it's always just such insight into the like level of creativity that's going on in his brain, which is incredible. Um, We started this fun little game on set because as you know, we have a lot of time to come up with games and and chat on set. So um, we came, Hunter and I came up with this game, which was what would Adriano do? And it was, you know, based on the challenge of the day, we would hear from all of our contestants what they were doing. And then what on earth would Adriano do? And he always incorporates elements of like fire and music and electricity. And it's just sort of these (laughs) mind blowing ideas. (laughs) So he's, he's not as um, chatty as Hunter and I are, but um, he is, he's got the, amazing ideas going on in that brain of his we're both big fans we watched his zumbo's just desserts that's the name right jeremiah yes. and we were so captivated so i love this what would zumbo do game i feel like it's a big zumbo challenge every time always so i'm curious you've judged so many bakers between sugar rush and cupcake wars is there a dessert that was just so good that you still think about it there are a lot of great desserts as you can imagine. And yes, you're right. I'm eating them all day long and I'm eating them back to back. So sometimes they can run into each other. But in thinking about last season's episodes on sugar rush, there was a chocolate cake that really stood out to me. And I think, you know, for me, when someone can make something really simple, 
is just sore, like it, it just flawless chocolate cake. That is true talent to me because, and, and we love the creativity. Don't get me wrong, but it's easier to sort of surprise and delight and be memorable that way. But it's hard to be memorable if you're just serving us chocolate cake. So there were two contestants. They were husband and wife. It was, I guess the love episode that, um, Vanessa and Nick Lachey were guest judging and she served for her final challenge as her cake, this chocolate cake. And we could not get over this cake. And Vanessa asked her, actually, she said, what is the secret to your chocolate cake? And on the show, she said that she uses chocolate syrup in the cake to help with moisture and to help bump up the flavor, which of course is, I was like, what? I've never heard of that before. And what is this chocolate syrup and whatever. So I saw Vanessa recently and she said, you know, what's so amazing that woman sent me the recipe. Uh-huh. So I have on my to-do list to follow up with Vanessa. I want that chocolate cake recipe. <laughs> oh my gosh, Candace, we want it too. <laughs> yes. yes. I promise to share it with you if I get my hot little hands on it. But <laughs> it, it was so good. Have you heard of that technique before? I have I not. Have, no. This is new to me. Okay. And then in terms of creativity, there was um, there were two contestants who I'm trying to think, oh, it was the trending desserts episode. And for their confection round, which can basically be anything, they served up this cheesecake that was in the style of a taco. So the taco shell were these fruity pebbles and the cheesecake was sort of this mousse inside. And then the salsa on the side was this beautiful, like fresh fruit compote. It was so cool. And it was perfectly on theme because, you know, trending desserts it's all about instagram and social media and what might go viral and this is the sort of thing that would have so that was a really fun one too that is such a fun idea so like out there you know so out there and colorful and just kind of makes you scratch your head but at the same time it was delicious i mean you uh, you you were on the front of a national viral food trend do you feel like you know what the next food trend might be that question all the time. I and I, I, I don't know that I have a lock on it. I do know that I, I think that Americans are really discovering Middle Eastern flavors and Israeli cuisine right now. A friend of mine, actually the woman who co-wrote my Sprinkles baking book, Adina Sussman, just came out with an amazing new cookbook called Sababa. And I told her, we actually just did my podcast, Live to Eat Together, and we baked in the kitchen together. And I said, Adina, I can't believe how many desserts are in this cookbook. Like, I don't really think of desserts when I think of Israeli cuisine. And she said, it was a really nice compliment. She said, I was really inspired by you because prior to doing the Sprinkles baking book, she wasn't really a sweets person. She was much more savory. So there are so many beautiful desserts in her cookbook. And one of them, which we made together, um, was this tahini, chewy tahini blondie recipe, which was insane. I mean, the chewiness and the flavor from the tahini, and then she adds in these toasted white and black sesame seeds for texture. And it's quite frankly, the easiest thing to throw together, but all those great flavors, I feel like people are, are discovering and, um, you know, cardamom spice and, you know, working with figs and tahini. And it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm sensing a trend towards those sorts of flavors right now. And, and I do think they will infuse the dessert world as well. I love that. 
those flavors are awesome. And just a quick, like little, I guess, you know, shameless plug for your podcast to our listeners. Definitely check out Candace's podcast. I listened to that episode, Candace, and I was dying for those blondies, all the flavors, <laughs> black pepper. She said she puts black pepper in there. I was like, Oh gosh, I need these in my life. So. Oh, good. Well, thank you for the plug. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a great, I mean, all the episodes I've really, really enjoyed. That's just the most recent one. And I, I was telling Jeremiah before we chatted, like, this is a must listen. You have to get on there and hear it. So um, same goes for everybody listening. Get on there. Thank you. And plug right back at you for your cookbook, which is so beautiful. Cake portfolio. We had the pleasure of baking together in my kitchen. Well, actually decorating together. You gave me a decorating lesson. And I love your take on decorating because it's so sophisticated and it truly is like going to an artist's studio. So thank you. I love it. Thank you very, very, very much. It means a lot. Uh, okay, so plugs over, unless Jeremiah. <laughs> no, no, we can plug away. <laughs> um, we have a listener question for you. We started talking about sprinkles here, so I think it's the right time. So, a question from Jet as Lion. She would like to know why cupcakes? Well, it didn't start out as cupcakes. I actually started out making cakes when I graduated from pastry school because I've been doing a lot of number crunching in my former jobs. And I wanted to be super creative and exercise that other side of my brain. And I thought the best way to do that would be to make custom cakes. And what I realized was custom cakes aren't necessarily ordered for anything other than special occasions. And that doesn't necessarily happen that often. So I wanted to bake something that people could conceivably eat on a daily basis because I thought that would be a better business proposition. And at the time, cupcakes were starting to come around and, you know, you'd see them in the pages of Martha Stewart magazine and uh, brides were starting to ask for cupcake towers instead of traditional wedding cakes. And so they were kind of on the rise, but still at that time, if you wanted cupcakes, you kind of had to go to the supermarket and pick them out and they were in plastic clamshells. They were not sophisticated. They were still kids fair. And so what I decided to do was to elevate what we thought of as a kid's treat into something that was a bit more special, like a special occasion cake. So elevating this lowly cupcake, but still keeping that joyful, fun, childlike quality to it. So that was the idea behind Sprinkles. I have to tell you when it was back in the early 2000s and I was living, going to school in New York City and I went out to um, Orange County. My friend was getting married and I was there a few days early just to help to help her. And every day our kind of, one of our activities was of course going to the gym, you know, cause it's before the wedding. And then it would be to go to sprinkles and um, we'd plan our, all our meals around, like make sure we had enough calories to get to sprinkles and enjoy a cupcake. And the next day be like, what, what, what are you going to have tomorrow? And um, I remember like just falling deeply in love. And when I got back to New York, I had to find some, I found some copycat recipe for your strawberry cupcake and started baking that for my friends. Cause I was like, I need to have this experience in New York every day. Cause I've been going to the other New York cupcake places, but yours was another, another level. Oh, thank you. That's, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. And actually I love that you love the strawberry because that's my husband's favorite too. Oh, so he's a, he's a man who, who doesn't wear pink, but he eats pink and that's fine. <laughs> I'm a lot like him. <laughs> 
right. We have a question from Lao Bustamantej. And I apologize to you for the way I butchered your name, but we very much appreciate your question. It is, what would she make someone consider before deciding to open a storefront? I think that's a great question. That's a really great question. I mean, I think the number one question for any business is, is there a market, right? And so the more you can do to test whether there's a market on a smaller scale without paying rent, without paying payroll, without you know dealing with insurance and all the rest of it, the better off you're going to be. So, you know, I guess what we call that these days is the, is the side hustle. You know, I was doing the side hustle before that word even existed, but it exists for a reason. I think it's really important if you can hold down your day job and just start making, you know, cakes and cupcakes or pies or whatever you're doing out of your kitchen at night and start building the name, building your name for yourself and start to understand like, are people responding to your product? Is there a market? Um, you know, start to test what products people like the best and start tweaking it before the stakes are so high. One thing I really enjoy on Instagram is being able to follow kind of people's journey with that. And I've noticed so many bakers that I I followed maybe years ago, they were baking only from their homes and then they started doing pop-ups and now then they moved into, I feel like a lot of them make that step into a commercial kitchen before doing a storefront. And then they do a storefront. It's, It's really fun to see that whole process. And then even if they're not in my city, I get really excited to go visit them wherever they are. So, so kind of with that same advice, it seems like a great, great way with baking. There's so many opportunities to bake and actually do it as a business, but in a small way before you do go all in and mortgage your house or something. Exactly. And it also gives you a jump start on, you know, building the buzz and, and getting your name out there. You know, when we opened Sprinkles, by the time we finally opened, we found a location, we built it out, we, you know, had all of our, well, I won't say we had all of our ducks in a row. We really didn't. Um, but by the time we opened our doors for better or worse, people, I already had a following people had already been, you know, buying cupcakes for me out of my West Hollywood, you know, apartment for years and they were counting on me for their special occasions. So I already had this built in, very passionate following. And they were the ones who were my brand ambassadors that helped to spread the word once we were open. At Fine Spun Cakes wants to know, what is your biggest lesson for business owners that you wish you knew earlier? Well, for me, I was young when I decided to open Sprinkles and I was impatient and it would have been a great idea to actually have a little industry experience before I decided to uh, head out there and, and open a business. I mean, in the end, I learned everything I really needed to, um, you know, in my own business and by experience, but it would have been great. I mean, had I worked at another bakery before that, I would have known what equipment to buy. I would have, it would just would have given me a, a, it would have given me a lot of information that would have been handy in opening my own bakery. That makes a lot of sense. And that, so that's, yeah, that stage thing you would recommend people take, take that, take that opportunity if they can. Absolutely. And I had that opportunity and I just was too impatient and wanted to, to get started on my own right away. So kind of a question about work-life balance. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that with baking. And I think a lot of our listeners have this uh, and it's very identifiable. There's so many different ways you can take baking. And, and you're a great example of that where you have 
businesses and you have TV shows and you have a cookbook and then your Instagram feed is so interesting and, and has such great content. How do you keep a work-life balance with all of those different projects going? That's an amazing question. That's a journey that I'm still on. I think it really boils down to prioritizing. Um, you know, everyone has the same amount of time in each day, although it seems like some people can get more done with that amount of time. And I think it really is a function of knowing what's most important to you. I mean, certainly that work-life balance becomes even more complicated when you have kids. And I have kids who need help with their homework now. And, you know, my older son who's 12 is going through secondary school applications. It's like a whole nother layer of, you know, intensity in, uh, in, within our lives right now as a family. So, you know, knowing what's most important to you and sort of organizing your life around that. And also as I've gotten older, I've become um, better at saying no and, and knowing that the best way to say no, you can say no with kindness and generosity. And, and my new motto is if it's not a hell yes, it's a no, (laughs) because everything you do has an opportunity cost. And if you're saying yes to something, you are basically saying no to something else. I love that phrase opportunity cost. I'm jotting that down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about some baking. Recently, I've been taking one of my cake recipes and transitioning it. I've been transitioning it to cupcakes and um, I don't do a ton with cake um, in my everyday life. So I'm wondering, are there any rules that I should know about if you're adapting a normal cake recipe to cupcakes? You know, not necessarily. I would say you have to be really cognizant of bake time. I feel like cakes are more forgiving in the sense that you can cut off the edges and you can soak them and you can kind of manipulate them a little bit, but cupcakes are what you see is what you get. You can't manipulate them too much. And as soon as you know, you are, I I like to do this sort of finger test, just like any cook would do with a steak. I'm not really into skewers and toothpicks and that sort of thing for deciding when something is done. So as soon as it's sort of is lightly pressing back on your finger, give it a pull. That's great advice. We have a listener question from M. Kenned. Do you have any fall bakes that are your favorites or Halloween bakes that are your favorites? Well, I never met a loaf cake I didn't like. There's just something about a loaf cake that says to me that it doesn't necessarily have to be dessert. It can be like a snack. And so I love, you know, all manner of flavors, pumpkin, chocolate, zucchini, carrot, you name it. Um, and I like to make some of those into mini muffins for my kids because for some reason they like things in miniature muffin form and they particularly like them when there's chocolate chips involved. So I have these pumpkin chocolate chip, actually gluten-free pumpkin chocolate chip mini muffins that are on regular rotation. And my kids kind of consider them breakfast, which I let them get away with, uh, more often than not. <laughs> and then I just made an apple cider bunt cake that I'm going to be posting my Instagram soon that I've obsessed with because, you know, living in Southern California, I do kind of miss, I miss fall a little bit. And there are certain flavors that just get me in the spirit since we're not seeing the changing of the leaves and, and apple cider is definitely one of those. Apple cider is such a hit. Oh my gosh. You say apple cider and I'm like, I need this recipe. Right. It's so good. And also actually I just got this Nordic wear, 
um, skull pan. Have you seen that? I got it at Williams Sonoma and it's a, um, six skull shapes in this pan. And I just tried it and it came out so cool. <gasps> I love that. I love that. So did you do like a white glaze or something to make this the white or do you pipe it? What do you do? Well, I, right now they're cooling. <laughs> I made a pumpkin variety and a chocolate variety and actually like they look cool naked as is but i think what you could do is make a glaze yeah they're not i'm not going to make them white like a true skeleton they just look super creepy um as they are i love that we would use that year round in my house we're a big fan of halloween and skeletons so that could be that could be a very useful pan around here you need to get one a friend of mine asked me, she really had this, this vision of having something in the eyes so that when you cut into the skull, like the eyes would like, you know, ooze something. And so I was like, oh, you should like set some jelly with me with gelatin that you could kind of stick in there. I don't know. That could be. That's a great idea. God, you guys are making these next level. You're going to make me into a hero <laughs> in my house. <laughs> At Soul73 wants to know, do you have any tips on how to make a recipe your own when the base is the same? Well, of course, you have to be careful with adding too much moisture. So I would say to balance that. But I love, you know, sautéing fruit or making purees. Um, you can also just drop spoonfuls of things into and give it a swirl like tahini, as I mentioned, I'm currently obsessed with. Peanut butter, curds, or jam. Um, and then I'm also a big fan of adding textural elements. I love crunch in everything. So cacao nibs mm. or nuts are always great to lean on as well. Great tips. Okay. Question from Southern Fatty, friend of the show. Hello, Mr. Fatty. Uh, he would like to know favorite sweet meats, savory combo, such as lemon basil. Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I love yogurt covered pretzels. Does that count? <laughs> totally. Definitely. I also love a cheese platter where you have, you know, great sharp, um, you know, hard cheeses like Parmesan's and manchegos with figs and fig jam and honey. I can't, I can't get enough of those combinations. I'm right there with you at sugar underscore attic. I've been so curious if you can make a meringue and store it in the fridge overnight. So totally switch, switching gears from cake to meringue. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I would think that because the refrigerator is a humid place, you wouldn't want to put your meringues in the fridge. Now, having said that, if you're using a totally airtight container, it really shouldn't make a difference. But generally, I keep my meringues, you know, just out on the countertop um, in an airtight container. I, I don't think to, I don't think they need to be cold. Also, a question from Sugar underscore Addict is: What is your most favorite thing you have ever baked? Okay, well, I'm going to shamelessly plug the chocolate olive oil cake from my restaurant, Pizzana, because basically what I love is sort of nostalgic, comforting, traditional American-style desserts. And when I was developing the dessert menu for Pizzana, which is our uh, pizza restaurant here in Los Angeles, I was tasked with developing you know, desserts that had some form of Italian inspiration. So I was like, oh, how am I going to marry those two things? So this chocolate olive oil cake that has become very popular is essentially a chocolate sheet cake that just has been made Italian by using olive oil in the, in the cake itself. 
but it is just the richest, darkest, most satisfying chocolate cake I have ever had. And I will celebrate my birthday with it. I will, you know, celebrate just Friday lunch with it. It is so delicious. So if you can get to LA and get to Pizzana, I highly recommend trying a slice. Ooh, what other desserts do you have at Pizzana? Oh, we have a salted caramel panna cotta that's also incredible. And I'd say those are the two most popular desserts. Although part of the problem with being a, uh, a pastry chef at a place like Pizzana is that people overeat the pizza so much because it's so delicious that barely anyone saves room for dessert. But it's fine. Pizza is the star of the show of Pizzana. There's no ego involved there. That is a challenge with a pizza meal to save room for dessert, for sure. All right. Should we do our lightning round, Jeremiah? Let's do it. There. Let's do this thing. So from at Southern Fatty, what is your favorite buttercream type? Ooh, I think I really love French buttercream. Not that I eat it a lot. It's so rich. But when I do, I'm just like, I could eat it with a spoon. Delicious. So creamy. At JD Deer wants to know what's your favorite sprinkles cupcake flavor? Well, I've been very vocal about this because I basically ate my way through both of my pregnancies on uh, sprinkles, dark chocolate cupcakes. Although I have to say our banana cupcake is the unsung hero of our product line. Ooh, I've never had the banana. I'm going to go try it. Banana is fantastic. Okay. We were going to ask you, what do you eat as your birthday dessert? But we just heard it's the chocolate olive oil cake. Well, I don't. When I'm not eating the chocolate olive oil cake, I will make an angel food cake because I have a deep, Mm. deep love for angel food cake. And I feel like I should have actually said maybe angel food cake for upcoming trends, because that's just my hope that angel food will come, will come back because it was really big when I was growing up and it's kind of disappeared. That would be amazing. We don't see it. We don't see it anywhere. I know. And I love it. And I've got my kids hooked on it now too. So they actually ask for angel food cake for their birthdays. And it's so fun. The last birthday cake I did for my eight-year-old, his friends went crazy. They were like, what is this cake called again? And they were, <laughs> it was like, they were discovering it for the first time. And it was so fun to watch. And they all loved it. They all had second slices. So I'm telling you guys, bring back the angel food cake. Your kids will thank you for it. My grandmother used to make it for us and we often make it still. And But do you have any, it's fun to play around with. Do you do any twists or do you keep it just classic? Well, my kids like a glaze, um, but oh, in terms of the flavor itself, no, I keep it classic. I'm, yeah. I'm, I can be classic bordering on uh, boring sometimes with my own baking. I really am such a purist and I love classic and traditional flavors. But uh, with my, when my husband requests it, we do whipped cream and, and fruit and we kind of freshen it, up, freshen it up a little bit. But I'd love to hear what you do with your angel food cake. How do you jazz it up? Well, my grandmother will do something where she she breaks it into pieces and mixes it with pineapple and uh, like pieces of pineapple and cream. And I feel like I mean, it's just really old school, like pineapple Jello. But it comes so it becomes like a um, like a trifle, yeah. And it's delicious. I mean, it's it has that old school. But I, like you were saying, like cream and fruit and cake is just it's so fresh and lovely. Yeah, that pineapple sounds amazing. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, super good. Okay, so when you're at a a restaurant. Are you choosing the chocolate dessert or the fruit dessert? Oh, that's a hard question. I think typically chocolate, yes, but I'm also very 
picky when it comes to my chocolate. So I need to know that it's being made with great chocolate. Otherwise, if there's some form of meringue and cream and fruit going on, I, I'm probably going the fruit direction. Hmm. I feel like that question always gives a window into someone's who they are. I love that question. Mm-hmm. I think I, you, your window to me was just, I'm very um, <laughs> indecisive. <laughs> or it depends. It depends on the quality. <laughs> What's on go. offer? Yeah. Discerning. I was discerning. thinking discerning, not indecisive. Okay, good. Okay. Favorite pizza at Pizzana? I mean, come on, guys. You know I'm going to choose the margarita because I'm as boring as they come. <laughs> but not to say that I haven't eaten my way through every single pizza and I haven't enjoyed every last one. I'd say... A uh, close second would be the Amatriciana, which has uh, crispy prosciutto. I love the Cacio e Pepe, which is, you know, Daniele Uditi's translation of that classic Roman pasta dish into pizza form. But I really feel like you can test the quality of a pizza with a margarita because it's all about, you know, the tomatoes, the cheese, and the crust. And um, the pizza on a all of, you know, the pizza and margarita is lights out. I got to get down there and have some. Yes, you do. Mm. Daniele was just on uh, the chef okay, show see. on Netflix. Have you guys seen that show yet? Yes, I love that show. Oh my gosh, it's a great one. Oh, I've got to check it out. It's so real, authentic. It's very raw. They're just, it's, it's like people who are passionate about cooking, cooking delicious stuff. It's great. Totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's a great episode. And um, Daniele made his Nona's meatball sub, which is not on the permanent menu at Pizzana. But as soon as that episode aired, people have been clamoring for it. So we've been doing little pop-up days where Daniele is in either our Brentwood or West Hollywood location making that, making that sub so good. Well, do you have a favorite dessert that you've had on vacation? Oh my gosh. So my family spends time in Sun Valley, Idaho, and there's this great new little restaurant that's opened called Cookbook. And it's a husband and wife team. And the wife is the pastry chef and she's from the Ukraine. And she has this Ukrainian honey cake on the menu. Have you guys had Ukrainian honey cake? I've had Russian honey cake. Is it different? It it is very similar, but, but she's Ukrainian. So it's Ukrainian honey cake. And I had never had it before. And I was just, I mean, my husband and I were like, what is this spectacular dessert for those of you who don't know what it is? Basically it's it's layers of this honey cake, but it's really more like a biscuit. I mean, it's a dough that gets rolled out and baked until it's crisp and it's layered with this sour cream frosting or filling it gets made ahead of time, put in the fridge so that all the layers kind of soften together. So it does start to become more like a cake than a biscuit. And it's not too sweet and it's so flavorful and it is phenomenal. And I cannot wait to make it actually. Have you ever made it? It's been on my to-do baking list for like years. I, every yeah. time I'm in San Diego, there's a Russian restaurant down there that I always get it at. And, but yeah, I'm dying too. Dying. What's the name of the place in San Diego? Because I could... Oh, oh, I think it's called Pomegranate. Pomegranate. I'll have to look. It's been a while. Okay. Put it in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, are you going to make it, Candace? I am totally going to make it, and I'll let you know how it goes. Please. Please do. She also makes these... Sorry, now you got me thinking. Oops, she also yeah. makes these really fluffy... I mean, fluffy maybe isn't, but like soft and chewy ginger molasses cookies that come out warm 
And I have to tell you, like, there's nothing better than that. I love a soft, chewy ginger molasses cookie. And I mean, that's not something you see on most dessert menus. And these cookies come out and they're warm. And I don't even think of my kids as liking that. And we were all fighting over them. I love those moments. Like that's like a moment you can picture in your, your a memory. You can, you really have it like a movie in your brain of like everyone going for the cookies. And... <laughs> really nothing better than warm cookies. But, but I also, I feel like molasses cookies, you don't see very, very often as much as you should on dessert menus. And so I was very delighted. Okay. So all these questions about opening a bakery that we had earlier, there's your hot tips, angel food cake, <laughs> uh, Middle Eastern cookie. desserts and molasses cookies. Take your pick and make it happen, people. <laughs> and send Candace a 10% cut. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take free tastes. <laughs> Amanda, what did you have for lunch today? The saddest lunch ever, juice. Uh, I bought a whole bunch of juice yesterday. This sounds so LA, right? So and, LA. Uh, yeah, it's, it's juice all day for me. How about you? What did you have for lunch? I think mine will sound very Northern California. I had pasta <laughs> that was made out of like cauliflower. <laughs> From and your garden? No, okay, not that. That's further north. Um, okay. With um, farmed, I think it's like the last of the summer, farm tomatoes and some other vegetables. Well, I'm curious what Adam from Lunch Therapy would think about our lunches. <laughs> I know, right? Well, Adam has this awesome podcast called Lunch Therapy, and it's a podcast for anyone who thinks that food is more than just what you put in your body every day. It's a show that looks at how what we eat says something about who we are. It's also really funny. There are just as many comedians as guests as there are chefs and food people, but the show isn't afraid to get emotional. There's many a poignant moment. You can also learn a lot. There are cooking tips, tips on how to host a dinner party. Jenny Koner's episode especially offers a good strategy. Tips on eating everything you want to eat, but also finding balance. Does juice for lunch count as balance? <laughs> Mostly, though, it's a chance to really get to know people by hearing about what they eat for lunch. Before we finish with our last question, I want to know, who, who did you bake with when you were young? Did someone teach you to bake? Yes. So I baked with my mom. She and I baked out of cookbooks, which is what people used to do back in the day, dog-eared, you know, cookbooks that had just been spilled on and used for years. And um, we baked in Indonesia, which is where I was living at the time. I grew up overseas in Southeast Asia. And when I had a craving for some of the treats from home, like, you know, those classic cupcakes or brownies or chocolate chip cookies, I, I couldn't go to the store and get them. I, there was no American style bakery. So I had to make them myself. So I spent a lot of time in the kitchen with my mom baking. And um, yeah, that's where my love for baking began out of sheer hunger and necessity. It's a great place for it to start. All right. So we would love to keep you all day and uh, just do next episode, next episode, next episode. But we have to set you free with our flower hour question. We would like to know if you could bake for anyone, dead or alive, who would you bake for and what would you make for them? Okay. I have an answer for you. I would bake for Julia Child 
because I feel like she, she would just be such a hoot. Like I love her style. She just was self-deprecating and fun and funny. And I know there would be no judgment. Even if I got nervous and I screwed up, she would be like, this is amazing. And I would make a flourless chocolate cake for her because that's what I think of when I think of Julia Child. I love that. And I think you're our first Julia. I don't think anyone is, has chosen her before. I love really? that. Really? I'm shocked. Know, okay. right? Wow. Even as she said it, I'm like, wait, why haven't we heard this before? Exactly. And it's such a wonderful answer. So magnificent. She would love your flourless chocolate cake. I'm sure you wouldn't screw it up. It'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Candace, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for, you know, spreading the good word of baking around the world. I really feel like you guys are are doing the good work there and um, such a great devoted community we have and and um you guys are you're doing such great work with your podcast thank you we could say right back at you exactly you're an inspiration to us and it's it's such an honor to have you on so thank you for your time today thanks guys keep me posted on your uh russian honey cake and your (laughs) angel food cake variations definitely you too all right take care guys thank you thank you bye bye Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. 